0: Hi, I'm Jess O'Cullaghan, and welcome to the Audiocraft podcast. This podcast was produced and recorded on the lands of the Darug people and on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and acknowledge that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land. In this feed, you'll find all the recordings from the 2020 AudioCraft Podcast Festival, so you can re-listen to your favorite sessions and give the wisdom shared by your audio idols a closer listen. Workflow is key to creating a great narrative podcast, but where do you begin? In this session, you're going to hear from AudioCraft Selena Shannon on how to manage workflow and time when creating a narrative over multiple episodes you'll learn all the tips and tools the Audiocraft team use, including what to think about before you get started, how to draw up a production schedule, and how to stay on track. Before you jump in, we recommend you click on the show notes and open up the link to Selena's presentation so you can see all the wonderful spreadsheets it takes to create a great podcast.
1: I just want to congratulate you all for choosing to tune into this workshop. I can't believe there are 85 people at the moment watching a workshop about managing workflow and time um, and all the spreadsheets that Jess mentioned. I'm really excited to share our tips with you. And I, I feel like if you're here, it's because you know that workflow is such an important part of staying on top of a really complicated, meaty, episodic podcast series. So yes, welcome. You're among friends. If you like that kind of organizational stuff, um, we're going to go pretty deep today uh, into how to manage big podcast project. I'm going to start by talking a little bit about how I got into podcasts and my background. I've been doing this for about five or six years now and I started off at FBI Radio in Sydney. If people don't know it, it's a youth music radio station. We do a lot of culture and arts around Sydney um, and I was working on their politics show Backchat. I was making politics stories and reporting the news and making packages every week. Um, and I was also working on All the Best. Um, I think a lot of people at this festival came up through All the Best like me. It's FBI's storytelling um, and documentary program. So this is a little All the Best shout out. So I, I started making my first stories for All the Best on FBI radio. And after doing that for about a year, I took over the show and I, I ran All the Best for two years. And if there was ever a time in my life when good workflow and good production management skills would have come in handy it was that job. <laughs> I was totally in of my head um, I had a really great team helping and supporting me but basically the show required us to, have about 20 different stories in production at any given time. Um, All the stories were being made by volunteers. The vast majority of these volunteers were making a radio story for the first time or a podcast story for the first time. So they needed a lot of support, a lot of one-to-one training all these stories were always in production at different stages they were at different stages of production um running concurrently and we somehow had to corral and herd all these beginner stories into a weekly broadcast slot and it was really stressful but really exciting Um, sometimes the night before the show was due to go to air we didn't have show because it was so hard to stay on top of all the stories that were constantly in production um, and being delayed or held up or a file was missing or a session had corrupted. And so it it was a really fun experience, but I, I really wish I had back then all the workflow and time management and project management skills that I've learned over the years since leaving that job. After all the best, I moved to RN for a little bit and I was working in features there and I worked across a few different feature podcasts. I did a show or a story on the real thing, on This Is About, on Earshot. And all these different programs had different workflow styles and different project management techniques and tools. Um, And I kind of borrowed a little bit from all of them um, as I was learning and as I was being supported and trained by all the amazing people at the ABC in RN Features. So I learned a lot in that time, which I then have since taken to Audiocraft, which is where I've been for the last three years, and that's where Jess, Jess, Kate and I, the four of us, have over the last few years really refined a good workflow and project management structure or framework or set of guidelines, if you will. Audiocraft started off quite small. Some of you might remember our first festival five years ago. Um, We've grown heaps since then, and in those intervening years, we've worked on dozens of podcasts inside our agency or through the agency. Um, We've done documentaries, we've done talk shows, we've done true crime, we've done lifestyle podcasts, we've converted films into podcasts, we've turned books into podcasts, and We've worked with a variety of clients and stakeholders and creative partners. um, And through all these projects, we've refined and refined and refined our workflow methods. So each project has become quicker, easier, and more streamlined than the last. But I think the talk today, this workflow workshop will provide tips and insights that can be applicable to any kind of podcast. And the good news is that you don't have to spend years producing dozens of podcasts to figure out great workflow practices, because I'm going to share all of ours with you. So here's how the workshop is going to work today. It's going to be broken down into three sections. The first one is planning your story. So the editorial management workflow. Uh, the second one is setting, your, setting up your files and workflow frameworks. So this is more of the spreadsheets and the administrative stuff. And then the third part is going to be bringing those two things together. So you've got the editorial side and then you've got the management side and then kind of bringing them together. This talk is most applicable to episodic series. So if you have one idea that you want to spread over multiple episodes, building the arc, but then managing the scale of that project. I know that anyone in the room here who has taken on or started a huge episodic podcast project knows that it's a massive creative undertaking Um, and you start off feeling so like, pregnant with possibility and you've got all these creative ideas and it's like a real labor of love. But anyone who's actually made a podcast knows that the the day-to-day reality of producing a big episodic series is a lot less romantic. It can be a bit of a a slog sometimes. So today what we're going to focus on is how to predict as much as possible, how much work each section of the project is going to require, how much time each section of the project is going to require so that you know that in advance and can plan your production accordingly and allocate your time and resources accordingly and have the members of your team, if you've got a team, working together in the most efficient way. So I've kind of already covered this, but I'm just quickly going to go through why I think good workflow is important. Mainly it's because podcast projects are very bitsy. And anyone here who's been on before would know this, that a smooth production relies on all the little bits and pieces of your project being available when you need them coming together in the way that you need them to come together. So you have all your files, you have all your story ideas, you have your scripts, you have your recordings and you need all these little bits to work together in a coherent way. Not only do these pieces need to be accessible to you um, and well organized for you, but they need to be accessible and organized in a way where everyone on your team can move around the project and can share the project and transfer the project in a way that's seamless. So I've kind of narrowed down the three parts of a project that I think are the most important areas where workflow needs to be really good. So team flow, like I said, being able to smoothly and painlessly move a project between team members, file hygiene, which is a term I think I've just invented, um, which is making sure your files don't get lost, making sure your files Don't get so poorly organized that you lose track of what you've already got. Um, You want your collection of recordings and scripts to be really neat and tidy so nothing can get misplaced or you don't lose track of the work that you've done and the work that needs to happen still. And then the last one is checklist confidence. A production project requires, you know, a hundred little things to be ticked off and they need to be ticked off at the right time. And you want to make sure that that checklist is being worked through in a, in a really manageable, non-stressful way where nothing's slipping through the cracks, basically. Okay, we're going to start by looking at the, planning the arc of your story. Okay, before you get really stuck into the spreadsheets and into workflow, you need to scaffold out the content of your story because that's going to determine what work needs to be done. So these steps I'm going to explain in a linear way, but I think something that's important to think about with workflow and these big projects is that even though I'll be describing them linearly, they don't necessarily happen consecutively. There's a lot of overlap. A lot of these steps need to happen at the same time. You might start one, start another, and then return to the first one. And that's just the nature of creative projects. But for the sake of this workshop, I'm going to explain them linearly. So the first step is your driving question. If you've got a really good idea for a podcast, that's great but you need to have a driving question that is the question that the podcast is more or less promising to try and answer over the course of your episodic series. Um, you don't literally need to set up a question for the listener and you don't truly need to answer it necessarily, um, but you do want to have some kind of hook or promise that there will be something that the listener needs to hang around for. Um, and so working out what that driving question is is a necessary part of the early editorial scaffolding of the project Um, but it's also going to be your guiding star as the producer throughout the production Uh, you're going to be falling back on this driving question a lot as you move through the production of the podcast I find it so useful to think about my driving question at all stages of the project with every decision I make if i'm weighing up whether something should be included or not i weigh it up against the driving question is this helping me to answer the driving question that i set out to answer at the beginning does it contribute to that mission and so yeah i have this i start off with this as my guiding star and then that is what i look to throughout the whole project you kind of need to think of your driving question in two parts you have the episode sorry, the whole series driving question, that's a single question, but then each episode should have their own individual driving question. And this is true whether your series has a single story over all the episodes that's broken down between the episodes or whether each episode has its own story, that, but those episodes are tied together in some way that makes them a series. Either way, you want your series driving question and then you want your episode driving question. The next step is your podcast treatment. And all of this should be happening kind of before you go into any of the recordings, before you do much of the writing. You want to have your podcast idea distilled down and recorded. Um, And this is an inward facing document. If you're making a podcast on your own, I still recommend doing this for your own benefit. If you're making a podcast with a team, this is a good way of making sure that you're all on the same page about the project, which will make communication and creative decisions so much easier when you've got this reference document. If you're working with a client or a stakeholder or a creative, an external creative partner, Again, you want this internal facing document to make sure that you're all on the same page and it should include a few key things. So at Audiocraft, when we make a podcast treatment, we have on one page, the log line, which is the the one sentence summary. This is your 10 words or less kind of elevator pitch, I guess, for the podcast. One of the rules of thumb that we keep in mind when writing a log line is your log line should be, like I said, 10 words or less, but in that small collection of words it should describe your podcast and no other podcast you know if your logline is the best australian stories i can name five great podcasts but that match that description so your logline really needs to feel like it is unique to your podcast but also communicating what is unique about your podcast Short synopsis, two or three sentences, um, description of your podcast. I love having this one in the treatment because then when I'm emailing potential talent or when I'm trying to book people for the podcast, I can just copy and paste that two or three sentences in the email and I don't have to have an existential crisis every time I contact someone trying to work out how do I convey what's interesting and exciting about this podcast and explain it in a small amount of words. You then have your long synopsis, kind of self explanatory you have your audience. This should also be agreed upon in advance. You know, who are you speaking to? We find it useful to imagine your audience as a single person. So you kind of build a character. Is she a woman in her early thirties who has this kind of job and this kind of social life? And this is how she spends her free time and blah, blah, blah. You kind of build this character. I did a workshop with Eric Newsom a few years ago, back when he was at, I think he was at Audible at the time, but now I think he has his own production company. But he's kind of like a podcast big dog in America. And he always said, go onto Google Images and find a picture of the person who represents your audience. So find this woman in her 30s who does this and blah, 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 and then print off that picture and have it up in Your office so that you've always got your audience in mind and you've got her distilled down to this one human face that you're speaking to so we do a little bit of that at audiocraft as well when we're planning out our podcasts next you want format and tone we're going to go into that in a little bit more detail later on but it's basically what format best serves the story that you're trying to tell is this a documentary is it interview based you know are there diarized sections where there's stream of consciousness writing or whatever and this will link back to the audience so how does the format that you've chosen tie back to the audience and serve the audience that you have in mind um in your podcast treatment you also want to talk about your host not only who they are and what they bring to the project but why them writing down why you want them as the host or why you've chosen them as the host is also a good thing to refer back to as you're writing and producing the show reminding yourself, you know, why have I chosen this voice? Why have we cho- chosen this person to tell this story? Why are they best placed to tell this story and, and drawing on that and falling back on that as you go. And then the last thing in the podcast treatment is the production team. I, like I said earlier, I think this workshop is particularly suited to projects that have a team working on the podcast. But even if it's just you pop yourself down, you're the production team and anyone who you're going to be turning to for feedback or for advice Um, pop them down as well. So you've got your driving question, you've got your podcast treatment. These are all really basic things for starting off a project. You then want to move on to your series outlines. We start off by making the series outline before we move into the episode outlines. The series outline is quite basic. It's just in, we do it in a spreadsheet like this. I've cropped it so you can only see the first two episodes, but you can imagine that there's whatever, all eight episodes of the series go in there. And working out the series outline, it just means plotting out roughly what's going to happen over the arc of the series. You don't want to put too much detail into this series outline because it's just a big picture snapshot of the series. And this is necessary editorially, but it's also a great record for the team to use as a reference throughout production. This is going to become a reoccurring theme throughout this whole talk. Keep neat records of everything. If you've ever made a podcast, you know that it's, the production is quite modular. Uh, you have these like building blocks and you're kind of stacking them as they go and you need strong foundations, neat records of everything to fall back on as you progress through the production because everything's going to get bitsier and everything's going to get, everything's, it's going to grow. The, the, the project is, the audio you're acquiring, the writing that you're doing, all these pieces are going to grow and grow and grow and you want them to really be neatly organized. Once you've done the series outline, which is just in the spreadsheet and isn't too long, you then move into the episode outlines. And this is these are the documents that I will fall back on the most throughout production. Each episode has one page and it's a slightly more fleshed out version of the series outline, but it should have the driving question. It should have an overview of the episode. It should have the talent that you want to speak to, the characters that you want in that episode, and then maybe like six story beats. And we work this out for every episode over the whole series before we start making anything. So we don't go in and start recording interviews or start writing or start collecting tape until we've plotted out every episode in advance. This isn't necessarily possible for every episodic podcast. Sometimes you need to start doing the interviews to quite literally get the story to know where the series is going. But even in those kinds of projects, you need to have a rough idea of how you're going to populate each episode before you go out and start collecting the material. I think some people go into these sorts of projects thinking that the material determines the arc of the series and it's kind of actually the other way around. Like we determine the arc of the series then collect the material we need. Um, I start throwing down interview questions into this document as well as they come to me. So I have the episode outline but if I already know what kind of questions I want to hit um, in the interviews I start popping them down as well. I also put links from my research into these one pages um, and that way I can quickly find articles and research that I've done when I'm referring back to these documents over the course of production. And then the last thing that's important about these episode outlines is they're going to form the beginnings of your production shopping list. So once you know what question you're trying to answer in each episode, once you know who you're going to speak to, what needs to happen in the story, what scenes you're hoping to include, that will s- create the early drafts of your your production shopping list. So I can see someone here asking what are episode beats? That's a really good question. I kind of think of episode beats as the chapters within an episode you would normally break down the arc of your episode into the things that happen or or the sections of the story and between each episode beat is a pivot so beat one for example would be the beginning of the story where it starts and then something has to happen that then pivots the story into the next stage where the next thing happens and that's beat two and then there's another pivot that'll then take you into the third beat so it's kind of just like the sections of of the story plotted out and i normally would have you know five or six beats per episode um, especially if it's a story heavy show like a narrative based podcast Um, so yeah like i was saying this will be this will start your shopping list so as you're doing these skeletons Um, of each episode, Um, you can then start writing a shopping list of, oh, okay, well, I know that in episode two, they go to a forest. So I know at some stage, I'm going to have to get some forest sounds or record my talent in a forest. Next in the editorial planning of the podcast, you want to work out tone and sound. So this is separate from what happens, but it's equally important. If you've decided to take this story idea that you have and turn it into a podcast, it's because you must have some belief that audio is a great or even the best way to tell this story. Um, And that can be for lots of reasons. Sometimes it's practical reasons. For example, audio is more accessible than making a a TV series about a story or making a film um, or, or writing a book in terms of, depending on where your skills are. I like to think that there are additional reasons why someone might want to tell a story with audio. And it could be that they want to use sound in a particular way to elevate and communicate this story. So at the very beginning, we think about in in a project, how is this podcast going to sound? What's the tone of the podcast going to be? For one of our projects, Ghost Hunter, which we made a couple of years ago, we even made a mood board for the podcast but we basically made a pinterest for ghost hunter and we found photos and quotes and articles and you can see that like almost none of these things in this mood board are audio things they're all like photos or the written word but we all felt like these were conveying the the same imagery that we wanted the sound to capture and yeah it was kind of a bit of an experiment uh it's not applicable to every podcast but i really i really liked having a mood board also sometimes you know when you're making a project and you come up with a wisp of an idea and you're like oh i just i know that at some point i want to explore this feeling but it doesn't necessarily fit into an interview or fit into an episode beat so you just chuck it in the mood board and then it's there for inspiration i also think tone and sound go beyond tone and sound in the literal sense So you, you know, you have music and you have the sound design that you have in mind, but there's also the emotion of the podcast or the political tone of the podcast. And all of these are important elements of the tone and sound to work out in advance. And I I know that some of this stuff might not seem like it's that relevant to workflow, but what we're trying to achieve by doing this kind of story planning in advance is working out okay how big is this project what does this project need how do we know when we've achieved what we need to achieve based on what we're hoping to achieve with this podcast and so before we start making anything we try and predict all this stuff and we try and plan out and plot out and map out all this stuff in advance so that instead of starting the production with this I heard someone use an expression once called spray and pray approach Um, we want to avoid that and instead we want to go in with really clear shopping lists of no this is what it's going to sound like and this is how we're going to achieve it and then the last thing for the story planning before we get into all the files and stuff uh, is interview briefs Um, and this is quite similar to the episode outlines but it's just specific Uh, to the interviews. So you want to make an interview brief for each person who you're planning to interview. If your podcast includes interviews with guests or with talent, we will always pre-interview someone who we're hoping to include in a podcast. In the pre-interview, we're basically auditioning them for the podcast. It's not, we're not auditioning them like you would audition an actor, we're auditioning their story and we're auditioning their ability to tell their story. Um, And we're also auditioning their willingness to tell the story. If there's a story we want to tell and there are a variety of voices who could come on to tell that story, we want to make sure we're picking not only the people who are going to tell it best, but the people who are going to open up and be the most willing to tell it um, and tell it in a coherent way and be responsive to our collecting of that story so yeah we pre-interview all our talent we research them we write all our questions in advance and then we put it all into this interview brief if you're making your podcast on your own it's kind of a funny thing where you like pre-interview someone and then you interview them properly at a later date but the vast majority of projects that we work on at audiocraft will have a host So I, as the producer will pre-interview the talent based off the pre-interview, I will write an interview brief, and then I'll hand that brief over to the host and they'll flesh it out with additional questions they want to ask. And the reason why we get the producer rather than the host to do the pre-interview is because you want the talent or you want the guest when they're talking to the host to be telling their story to fresh ears or for them to feel like they're telling it to fresh ears. If they tell the same story to me twice the second time which is the time that i'm recording and need it they're not going to give it to me like they're telling it to me for the first time they're going to be like you know like i said last time and blah, blah blah someone's commented selena how do you communicate with people that you pre-interview but then don't choose i find this so hard it is really hard you just have to be really betty brutal about it i just send a very honest email and i say hey thank you so much for the time that you gave in that pre-interview you know, I really appreciate you making that time. Um, we're not going to include this in the podcast anymore, I'm afraid, but thank you so much for your generosity. It's painful, but you just have to rip off the bandaid. And when I say Betty Brittle, I mean, it's Betty Brittle to my own emotions rather than don't be Betty Brittle to them. <laughs> I would always just acknowledge to them, the generosity of them taking the time to do the pre-interview, especially if it's something, if it's a personal story, that's hard for them to tell. I think in those situations, that's when it's handy having a producer versus a host. The producer can kind of be the bad cop a little bit, and then the host can, can be the nice guy. Mm-hmm. So we've covered your driving question, your podcast treatment, your series outline, your episode outlines, the tone and sound, and your interview briefs. All of these processes serve two main purposes the first is that they're necessary parts of the editorial development of your project Um, you know you need to know who you're going to speak to you need to decide what the podcast is going to sound like but the second important role that they play is you're creating an agreed upon record of all these early decisions and when you have a team that's all working on the same project there are going to be moments where you're going to be really happy that you have a record of these early decisions and what's been decided and what the production is aiming to achieve. Because I'm going to start overwhelming everyone with file naming conventions, I thought I would make some time for questions now before we move into the workflow nitty-gritty part of the workshop. So Yo has written a question saying, how do you balance the premeditated beats versus the content that emerges as you interview, which is sometimes tangential? I think Matt Lieber said this this morning. Good questions often have the answer of it depends. I think for this question in particular, it really depends if like who and what the podcast is for. So if we're making a podcast that is for a client where they have a really specific idea of what they want the podcast to achieve, that I'm pretty strict with my beats. And I'm, it's not really a question of, oh, I went and interviewed someone and they went off in a different direction and it doesn't match my beats. I'm choosing who I interview based on who's going to achieve my beats. And that will be because that particular podcast requires the story to land somewhere in particular. If it's a style of podcast where you're uncovering the story as it goes and you're wanting to find out what happens in real time and therefore you can only loosely predict and really the content is going to be determined by what the talent come back, like what the characters come back to you with, then I'm more flexible with my beats. But I I want to know as much as possible where each episode is going to land before I go into it. So I want to know, like, does this have a satisfying ending that I'm working towards and what does that look like? And maybe the story will go in different directions between A and Z, but ultimately I want to know where it's going to land and I'm working towards it landing in that spot. Um, And that landing can be a feeling or it can be a resolution, or it can be a new question. Um, But whatever it is, I normally want the podcast, I want each episode to land somewhere. And so that's how I weigh up when do I let the characters lead the direction of the story, and when do I steer it back? So someone has said, how much time on average do you spend researching the beats to be able to create that compelling narrative arc? I... Want to give a really romantic, creative answer, but really I spend two days per episode. Um, and that's generally because the way that I mean, obviously, that's massively give or take. The way that I know that I'm going to take that amount of time is because the way that we run projects at AudioCraft, everything is planned and everything is very step by step, like what I'm taking you through now devising the driving question, writing the podcast treatment, doing the series outline. All of these steps exist to break down a big, messy, creative idea into achievable blocks. And it's so hard to know how long a big project is going to take, but I do know how long coming up with a driving question is going to take. You know, I can, all those parts that I break down, uh, it's much easier to predict the amount of time that those little pieces will take. And so from doing that enough times, I now know that if I'm writing my story beats, it means that I've already chosen who I'm going to speak to. It means I've already worked out what the driving question is for that episode. It means I've already worked out, you know, what the tone is, like all this stuff along the way. And therefore, armed with that planning that I've already done, I know it'll take me a couple of days per episode to work out the beats. So Mike says, has there been a time when you realized the driving question or first assumption wasn't the right one? I'm wondering if there's a case study where you had to throw everything out the window. What did you do? Yeah, I've got a really good example of that. And it's one of my favorite stories I've ever worked on. At Audiocraft last year, we made a podcast about the city of Portland in America. And it's like particularly like compelling right now because of all the stuff that's going on in Portland at the moment, all the political stuff that's happening there um, between the people protesting and the police. Um, But basically we went into that series wanting to make six episodes that told the story of Portland. And one of those episodes was about the music scene that Portland is really well known for. um, And people who know Portland might think of like indie rock or might think of you know, a particular genre of music that uh, is um, quintessentially Portland. And we kind of went in with these preconceived ideas about the music scene in Portland. And then from talking to people, we found this completely different narrative about the music scene in Portland. And that narrative was that even though America is the birthplace of hip hop, and even though Portland is one of the music capitals of America, the hip hop scene within Portland is is tiny and oppressed and stifled um, and really struggles to get off the ground. And it was very opposite to the narrative we had in mind, which was that like Portland is a music loving city that's just like brimming with musical energy and talent. And actually there was this like struggling hip hop scene. And so that was completely different to what we went in wanting to tell, but it was way more interesting because the stakes in that story were so much more compelling than a story that's just about how great something is, you know, music in Portland, it's a great musical city. So in that instance, We did kind of 180, but because we work out our story beats in advance, the 180 happened really early on in production. It happened before we'd interviewed anyone. It happened before we'd started writing anything. Um, So even though we had to throw the original idea out the window, we luckily, from methodically following these steps, reached that 180 point before any of the concrete had been poured. Okay, I'm going to pause questions for a little bit, but there'll be other opportunities in the workshop to talk about them more. Okay. So your story planning is more or less done now. You know what's going to happen in each episode and that's enabled enabled you to get a shopping list of everything that you need to collect to build your podcast, all the content and all the material that you need to collect. And now we're going to convert that into the the files and the workflow. So here are the four things that we're going to cover. And these i would do consecutively. So i said earlier on that like some of these steps happen at the same time. You might write your interview briefs while you're determining the tone and the sound, but here it's it's linear. The first one is to divide your work into batches. So we typically will divide a project into research and development, that's the first stage, recording and logging, then writing editing, mixing. So those are the, f- the main batches. Depending on what your podcast is about and depending on how you're trying to tell the story, these batches might look slightly different. But I think broadly, they're all going to kind of fall into this. The value of dividing your work into batches comes back to what I said earlier, which is that it's hard to predict how long a really big project is going to take. The more you break it down, the easier it is to predict how long each piece is going to take. Um, So you divide your work into batches and you basically assign each part of the project to one of these batches. So research and development for this Portland podcast that we made, for example, which was, you know, six episodes about the city of Portland, the research and development was find out everything about Portland, find six fascinating stories. Um, And then the next phase recording and logging is go to Portland and talk to people, you know, like whatever, whatever your project requires, divide, into these batches and then put everything under these umbrellas not everything in your production will neatly fall under these umbrellas naturally but everything will have to happen each thing will have to happen during one of these batches so for example collecting all the release forms from your talent none of these headings really describe that but you know that it's going to have to happen around the time of recording and logging so these batches are are still guides for your project Um, you know you'll need to source music during the editing stage so these batches will become the umbrella heads and you can start listing everything that needs to happen underneath these headings the second thing is to make a team calendar so this is assuming you're not doing this on your own that you're doing it with the team But I mean team in a really broad sense. So even if you're the only producer, if there's people who you're going to be relying on to tell the story, like main talent, I'm counting them as your team in this instance, like anyone who is necessary for the project to be made. So you want to make a calendar where you block out the availability of everyone on your team and you mark when they're not available in advance and so you look like several months into the future or however long you roughly expect to spend on this podcast and in advance you block out everyone's availability over that time and once you've got that all down in one calendar once you know like when the sound engineer is available when the assistant producer is available or when the host is available you've got them plotted out on a calendar And it means that when you're then chasing talent and booking them in for interviews, you've already got a really neat visual of where everything, like when people are going to be needed for what, um, so that you don't get to the critical deadline where you need all the interviews done. And you realize that the only time that the talent is available is when your host is on holidays. So black out all those important dates, in particular, for your host, that's the most important person. You need to know all of their availability, um, not just for recording interviews, but for writing and editorial feedback and all of that kind of stuff. And then this, this is like what, maybe the most important slide of the of the whole thing. So this is a project matrix, and this is like the most important thing that we use at Audiocraft. And it's basically a combination of those first two steps that I just talked about. So dividing your work into batches and making your team calendar. Basically like you might call it a Gantt chart. I have heard other people call it that. What's actually written on this screenshot isn't that important. It's just the big picture that I want you guys to look at. So you can kind of see it'll have stage one is research and development. Um, or pre-production, stage two is recording and writing. Um, And underneath each of those headings, you're writing a list of all the things that you need to achieve under that umbrella. So do you remember earlier I said, divide your work into batches, these are these umbrella heads. So that was the kind of poetic license, first draft version of it. And now you're doing the actual building of the list to create a checklist that you're gonna follow. So on the far left side, you can see the list of everything that needs to happen within a project. And this is going to be a tricky thing to pull off perfectly the first time you use a spreadsheet like this. It's taken us many projects to be able to work out what the good checklist looks and feels like. But here's a, here's a rough example. So I can, I'll like, I'll squint and I'll let you know, it'll have like kickoff meeting and then project timeline and then complete episode outlines and then feedback on episode outlines. So all these things that I've been talking about in the first half of this workshop all then get itemized here. Um, so on the far left, you have the items. The next column along, you have which person is responsible for each thing. So Writing the episode outlines might be the producer, but then feedback on the episode outlines might be the executive producer. You write the name of the person who's responsible for each thing, and that is something that you do for the whole project in advance. So even like squinting into the distance in four months' time, who's going to be in charge of giving feedback on the audio drafts? Is it one person? Is it everyone? And so you write all their names down like that in there. I've got client in there because we work with clients, but that might be a stakeholder, or it might be a community that you want um, feedback from, you know, whoever your stakeholders are in your project. Then next to who is the person responsible for that item, you then have the status. So once something's done, you turn it to done. If it's in progress, you switch it to in progress. um, And then hold means it hasn't happened yet. So that's how you track, that's how you check things off the checklist. In the column next to it, I know I'm going like pretty deep into this one, but I do think that this kind of spreadsheet is a lifesaver on projects. In the next column, you have how many days you expect each part to take. Now, this is something that you may or may not be able to be very precise about. We can be pretty precise about how many days we think each step is going to take because we've done enough projects and we work in a very particular way at Audiocraft. And we work with particular clients in such a way where this makes sense for us. It might not make as much sense for you to try and predict this is going to, you know, X will take two and a half days, but a guesstimation is useful. And then in this right-hand half of the spreadsheet, you have what is kind of like a cross between a checklist and a calendar so at the top if everyone can see the like pale green bar below that is a calendar and we break the year down into weeks and then you're kind of just making a little colored square next to each item in the week of the calendar when you are hoping to achieve this thing and We would normally start at the end. So we know when the, if we already know the project is gonna have to be due by a particular time. So for example, if it's a Christmas podcast, it needs to be out by Christmas. So we put the end date in and then we work our way backwards from that and figure out, you know, okay, if if the finished finished product needs to be out by Christmas, then that means that the audio drafts need to be ready however far in advance. So you plot out the project like this from the very beginning. Into this spreadsheet, something that's not in this version, but that I we usually add at the top here in that green bar, where we've blacked out team availability in the calendar, we will actually do. We'll transfer that information into this matrix as well, so that you know. For example, here I can say field recordings need to be done by May in the, you know, by the first week of May. But then if I like look above, I can see, oh, actually our host is away that week or our host is on another job that week. And so we can't do it then. So this matrix is the combination of your team calendar availability and when each part of the project needs to be accomplished by. So someone's asked, do you let other team members change status markers in the spreadsheet or do you maintain total spreadsheet control? There's no right or wrong answer. The only, the, but the best advice I would give is to you need to decide as a team in advance how sign off is going to happen. So if you want a situation where just the EP can change the status, make sure that's decided on by everyone in advance and that that's understood in advance. If you want a kind of um, workflow where people just tick off their own stuff as they go and then the EP just checks on it, That's fine too. Whatever you decide is fine, as long as everyone knows the decision from the beginning and everyone understands that they need to adhere like to whatever the system is that's decided upon. This matrix is kind of like a one-stop shop for your whole project. And it will keep track if it's used correctly. And if it's used with conviction, it will track everything in your project for you and help you stay on top of everything as you go. And you'll be able to see like, Oh, I know that I can't get feedback on this until I've delivered this. One thing that I think is really important to build into these Into a matrix like this and something that people don't always adequately build in from the beginning is feedback and approval time so you might know how much time it's going to take you to write a script but if you need a host or if you need a client or if you need the subject of the story to read over what you've written and give their thoughts you need to build in that time into your production schedule because those periods where people are giving feedback that part of the project more or less has to go on hold. You can't work on a script if it's with an EP or with a client or with the host um, and they're giving their thoughts. So you want to adequately build in those feedback time periods and know when they're going to happen as far in advance as possible so that you can give notice to the people that you're relying on to do that feedback. So if you know that your host needs to look over the scripts you've written, you want to give them as much notice as possible that you're going to say, okay, there are going to be eight moments in this production where I'm going to need you to give feedback on a 10 page script for each of these eight episodes. And so working out with them in advance, like how much time they need for that and when that can happen so that you don't just hand scripts over to them. And then you don't know when they're due back. You don't know when they're free to look at them. The whole project blows out, blah, blah, blah. This matrix, the way we normally run it is we have tabs down the bottom. So this path that you're looking at now is called the critical path but then we'd have other tabs that are in the spreadsheet and those tabs would include other important information. I would put the series outline in there. I'd put the episode outlines that you've written in there. I'd put all the contact details of everyone on the team, the contact details of all the people you want to interview, like all these records and all this important information can all live in this one this one-stop shop basically. You might want to zoom into a part of the matrix and have it blown up in under, you know, on another tab so that you can like go into more detail you can put anything in your matrix. It's your matrix, but, but think of it as um, somewhere where everything is recorded and everything lives. Okay. I think we've done enough on the matrix. Um, I've just got one more thing I want to chat about on this, which is file management, which let's be honest, is the real reason you guys are all here for the file management part of the talk. So file management is something I'm deeply passionate about. So we just saw the matrix, which is where the schedule lives. And, you know, in those spreadsheet tabs, all the information lives. But then here is where all the actual pieces of content live. So your audio, your sessions, your scripts, all of those will live in this master folder. You want to set up good file management from the very beginning of your project. Don't wait until you start recording audio way before that, like you come up with your podcast idea and then you come up with your file management plan. Like that's how early on it needs to happen. I start by picking a project key. So SES is the one that we have for search engine sex. And the reason I pick a project key is because I have lots of audio that I've made in my life and lots of stories that I've worked on. And so if I'm looking for some interview tape that I've recorded for search engine sex, if I search interview in my finder on my computer, like a billion files will come up from all the interviews I've done. But if I search SES interview, then only the ones I've done for search engine sex will come up because I'm including the key in all my file names. So you start off by working out the project key. SES is the one that I've worked out here. You work out the key and then you make the master folder. Now the master folder will have different subfolders depending on what you need. But this screenshot is generally what I would include in a master folder. My archives, my final delivery folder, admin, audio edits, development, outlines, production, et cetera, et cetera. And then down the bottom, you can see my matrix. That's where all the important stuff lives. So having good file management is really important if your project deals with lots of tape and lots of characters and lots of episodes, which is what these types of series generally have. I don't want you to think that good file management just applies to how you name your audio files. It's also how you name your session files. It's also how you log your tape. It's also how you keep track of versions of your scripts and script revisions. It's also how you keep track of feedback and notes that you're getting from different stakeholders and from different team members. It's a, it's a bigger and more complicated thing that you need to start thinking about from the very beginning. So like I said, you start off with by thinking of your key, then you make this master folder that everything's going to live in. Then you want to make sure that everyone on your team is using the same platform or the same place to save all the work so all of your team need to be in the same dropbox or they all need to be in the same google drive and that's where your master folder is going to live so you all come together in one place you don't want a project where everything i record is being saved to my google drive but everything the other producer records is being saved to their dropbox it all has to go to the one home to the one master folder it all has to be backed up to the same place so yeah i, I pre-populate this master folder with these some folders and then pick your file naming convention. I've got an example of what I normally do, and then this applies to whatever your file type is. I'm going to break it down into more detail in the next slide, but you can see here the beginning of the file name will always have the the key that I've chosen for my project, so search engine sex, SES. It'll have the episode that whatever this file is for, I already should know in advance what episode this interview is going in, because I've already worked out my episode outlines, so I already know When I'm talking to Ben Law, it's going to be in episode, how do I have a good relationship or whatever it is. I then have the name, the type, the version, and then my initials so that anyone on the team, when they see this file, they know, oh, that's a script Selena's written rather than a script that the host has written or whatever. They can always see who has authored what. So that's a kind of like general file naming convention. And then you tweak it depending on what type of file it is. You have mostly three types of files in a podcast project. You have the audio files, so your raw tape, you have documents, so that's your script or your research documents or your episode outlines, and then you have your sessions, which is where you're editing the episodes in Pro Tools or Reaper or WaveLab or whatever it is you use. So you can see here that there's kind of the same pattern across all these file types in that like i said they always start with the key they always have the episode um, they have the information and then they have the version number so version numbers are essential anything you make even if you think there's only going to be one of something just put version one that's fine there's no harm and then if there's ever a version two you've got the two versions neatly marked and recorded Versions are so essential because if I'm writing a script and I'm in the 10th draft and then I hand it over to the host and I haven't written the most recent draft is number 10 and they've got a folder full of scripts of episode five and they start editing draft eight, not knowing that I've already moved on and I'm two drafts past that. Like all of this, you just need your versions. And then when you do any kind of handover to a team member, say, hey, I'd love your eyes on this script. I'm up to version 10. You can see SS, Selena Shannon, that's my version. And then, for example, in this documents folder, you can see when I've handed it over to Jess Binneth because it's gone from version 2, Selena Shannon, to version 3, Jess Binneth. So I know, okay, Jess came in and gave her thoughts on version 3. When I pick it back up again, it's version 4. I know all this stuff sounds really obvious, but I think we all get really lazy with file naming and we all can get pretty sloppy. And a lot of that is when we're making something, when we're writing a script or when we're uploading an audio file, I know I have this feeling of like, oh, but I'm just gonna remember. Like, I'm just gonna know that this is the important file or I'm just gonna know that this is the latest version of the script. And like, I can't rely on my brain. I just need to mark the versions and the initials. Um, And some people also put dates. So, you know, I don't always put the date because I use Google drive And it says when I last opened it, so I don't include the date in the file necessarily, but you might want to do that. Hopping over to the raw tape folder on the left, you can see that I've made an episode with Ben Law and I recorded multiple interviews with him. I also recorded Atmos and I also recorded something in a bathroom. So all of these are neatly labeled so that whenever I need any bits of, like any of these pieces of audio, I can always go back and find them. You can see I took a screenshot of file naming that makes me cry and that is impossible to work with where it just says Atmos, 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 episode draft, like nothing is correctly labeled or gives me any information about what this is. And if you're, you know, I, at AudioCraft, I'm working on like the 12th podcast I've made with them. They all just have files that just say Atmos. And then I listen to it. I don't know what it's an, I can't work out who. (laughs) whose Atmos this is. So none of this, none of this. And then the last one is your sessions. I think, so, so someone's written a question, where do you store edited interviews in raw audio? So I would put edited interviews in my sessions folder. So I, if I've got an edited interview where the interview is edited, but it hasn't made its way into an episode yet, I wouldn't really export that interview. I would leave it as a session. So I'll have a session that's like the cut down version of this interview. And then that just lives in the sessions folder. And then when I need to use that edited version of the interview, I'll just import it into the episode session. It would never really make its way out into an exported file version of that edited interview the important thing to remember is that if you're working as a team having consistent file naming means that no one will ever get lost no tape will ever get lost because you can always find it again even if i can't remember what a file is called i can like you know if i'm trying to find a particular interview even if i can't remember what the interview is called i can remember what episode it should have gone in or the date that it happened or what type of file it was. So I can always search using these keys that I've been consistent with from the beginning of the project to find everything. One last thing in the sessions folder, you can see that I put at the end what type or what stage the session is at. So even if I have version one of the mix, I'll then qualify that by saying there's no VO which I spelt as Vo, Novo, Um, or now there is VO or now the pickups are inserted or now it's the final version, et cetera. It's all all just very important to be consistent with it from the beginning. So someone's asked, how would you file slash label raw tape from talent who will be used across a few episodes? It depends how uh, anal you wanna be. So I might just put episode and then all the numbers that I think it might go in or if it's an audio file, it's just a raw recording, I will I might actually duplicate it and put it in all the episode folders. So I'll be like, I know this Ben Law interview is gonna be in episodes four, five, and six. So I'll duplicate it and put it in each one. And then when I'm editing that when I'm editing that episode, I have it in each folder already. But I think in 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 that instance, you can just duplicate. So someone's asked, would you ever start releasing episodes before everything is complete? I probably should have covered that at the very beginning of the presentation. When you are working out your Matrix production schedule, um, you want to know that from the very beginning. So you're making a conscious decision. Either I'm going to finish this whole series before I release anything, or I'm going to start dropping episodes while I'm still in production. Um, If you're going to do that latter one, you need to build in enough of like run up time and then time the release of each episode so that you still have the right amount of time left to keep producing and have the episodes be finished in time for when they're due to come out. I generally prefer finishing something before it goes out just because that's much less stressful, but whatever you decide, whether you decide to finish and then release or release as you go. The only important thing is that you make a decision about that in advance and plot out your production schedule with that in mind. If you're doing that, then it doesn't really matter which one you choose. All that matters is that you plan and allocate enough time to pull it off. Okay, I'm going to press on and do the last couple of slides here. So this is the part of the workshop where we bring together all the story planning you've done and all the workflow good practices that you've set up and kind of bring them together. So at AudioCraft, we will then determine a workflow chart. The important thing is that you see that we work out the actual step-by-step workflow that things are going to go in. This is Important if you've got a team with a few people and each person on that team comes in at different stages. So, at an audio craft project, you know, we might have an assistant producer who does a first pass of something, and then a regular producer who'll do the second pass, and then an EP who'll do a third pass. And then the EP, their pass might then pass back down to the producer who then might then pass it to the host. And so if all your episodes are kind of like moving through all these people, you want to work out the exact order that that needs to happen in so that you're not doubling up, so that you're not duplicating steps and so that you're minimizing the amount of handover that needs to happen. You don't want a script to go back and forth five or six times if the same outcome can be achieved by it just going to three people in the right order and at the right stages we we work out in advance okay how far does this step need to get need to come along before it moves from person a to person b and then how far does it have to go along to get from person b to person c this kind of workflow chart i know in our experience you can't really predict it from the beginning like we work out this workflow chart as we go so you know the first two or three or four episodes of a series you're still kind of like you're trying to figure out what's the most efficient way to move through this project and then this workflow chart will kind of emerge out of that as you refine and as you make more efficient the passing around of project bits we log our tape Logging is also an area where you want to have good file management and good workflow and good record keeping. There are two ways you can log tape. You do all your recordings, and then this is assuming that it's tape that isn't just atmospheric field recording, so tape with with content that you need to log. You can either log it on paper, so transcribe it either yourself or with transcription software And then go and highlight the important bits and strike through the parts you don't want and leave notes and make comments that's one way to do it that's how i like to work or you can log your tape in your daw of choice sometimes depending on the project we do it this way as well when we log in say in pro tools i will have the interview tape i'll cut it up so that each interesting bit that i want to use is its own chunk and then I'll either put a marker labeling what's in that bit of tape. So like I've made up a fake thing here where it's like an interview about coffee. Um, so I'll be like, this is the answer where they talk about how much they love coffee. This is the answer where they say coffee's bitter. This is the answer where they say coffee needs sugar. Um, so I put those markers in along the way as I'm listening on all the bits that I think are good and that I might want to use. But then I also rename the clips. And this is particularly useful in Pro Tools because then you get this clips window here And the clips window will then have a list of everything that you've relabeled. So you can then find all the clips by doing a keyword search in Pro Tools or whatever program you use. And I find this useful once you've got really big, long interviews or multiple voices and a session might have a hundred interesting things in it. And so your clip list is really long. If it's all adequately labeled and renamed, you can use keyword search to then find, I want that amazing tape where he says coffee is bitter and you can search it and find it. You'll see that when I rename a clip, to include the keywords of what's in it, I leave the original file name in the beginning. So say with Pro Tools, it'll give you the option to rename a clip. And I used to backspace the file name and just put the keywords. But then when you have a session with multiple files in it, I might have talent that say the same thing, but I need all of them to say it in their own way. Um, So I wanna know when I'm key searching coffee is bitter that I can then link it back to the right person. Um, So yeah, good logging means that you'll then have keyword searchability. When we are working with sound engineers who are going to mix our stories or mix our our episodes, you don't just want to hand over the session with all the interviews and pieces for them to mix. You also want to give them a sound brief. And this, like every other bit of planning that we've done in this project is a record and agreed upon record of exactly what you want them to achieve or what you want them to aim for. So a sound brief when we write it at Audiocraft will include a series synopsis for the sound engineer to understand the story, top line sound notes. So I might include the mood board that we made, or I might include, you know, a detailed description of, I want this to sound like 80s commercial radio or whatever the aesthetic is. I'll then put style references. So here are other podcasts that come close to what I'm trying to achieve. Or like, you know, I want it to sound like the daily meets whatever, you know, I might pick like five unrelated podcasts that should converge to create the aesthetic that I'm going for. And that will be good, like inspo for the sound engineer. I then write a handover plan that they agree to, which is, you know, I might say, hey, I'm going to edit my assemblies in Pro Tools, and then I'm going to download the whole session onto a hard drive, and then I'm going to ride my bike to your house and give you the hard drive. Or whatever your like handover plan is, make sure that you've agreed on it in advance because you don't want to get to a point where you've just spent weeks making these assemblies in Pro Tools, and then you email them to the sound engineer and they're like, oh, I don't edit in Pro Tools. Can you send these to me completely differently? So you want to make sure that the handover plan is agreed on in advance. And then the last thing is project specs. So like any of the, the settings that you want the project to be set up with within your DAW or editing software. And then the last slide is giving notes. So each stage of production, depending on how much how big your team is or how involved you want other people to be. You might want to pass on sections of your work for feedback or notes to your host or to your EP or to your client or whoever. Like I said before, you want to allocate that time in advance so that they know it's coming and so that you've allocated enough time for them to do it. You want to make sure that all the versions are kept. So if you've progressed through a script or if you've progressed through an edit, you have all the backups in case you're like, you know what, that was actually way better a week ago before I lost so much sleep over it and lost track of what sounded good. You keep all the records. If it's audio drafts, we use OTranscribe for listening back to draft episodes and giving notes. And the reason why you want to use OTranscribe is because you can upload the audio draft into OTranscribe. And then there's a shortcut for making timestamps. So you can listen back to it and in real time, you can write your notes and timestamp them. It's just the quickest and easiest way to give notes on a sound draft. And the last bit of advice is if you're getting feedback and notes from multiple people, you want to consolidate all of that feedback before you hand it over to the person who has to action that feedback. So if it's a sound engineer and there are four people who have given sound notes, you only want to hand over one document with no contradictions and no duplicates that they can work off. That's the end of all I have on my PowerPoints. I'm sorry that I rushed at the end a little bit, um, but we're about to approach 4 o'clock.
0: That was Selena Shannon leading the Audiocraft workshop, Go With The Flow. If you liked this episode, I reckon you'll be into Embrace Chaos, a session with Avery Truffleman from 2019, where she shares how she makes a story and what order she does everything in. You can find us on social media at AudiocraftFest and sign up to our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au to keep in touch with us. Until next time.